part three of A Brief History of the Order of Dionysus and Paul by Alan Armstrong. On April 10th, Easter Sunday, 1955, the Church of the Mystics was established at the Wesley Chapel, Wesley Place, Durdham Downs in Bristol. The last service held there was on May the 27th of the same year. In Dennis's own words, and I quote, the response has been sufficient to warrant a more permanent premises, so arrangements have been made for the full use of the property owned by Mr. Weaver at number 4 Calloway Avenue. Much work in decorating, etc., ready for the opening on May the 31st. End quote. See the records, Volume 1, Part 1. Marg Yorgis consecrated the church in July 1955. Gifts and contributions in support of this venture came from many sympathisers who were in various ways connected with Dennis and Esme. Although Esme and Dennis were to separate at a later date and Esme was to later emigrate to Australia, at this stage she seemed to have been fully involved in this venture and committed resources and time to it. At the request of Margiorgus, the name of the church was changed to the Church of the Three Magi. For three years, the community of the Church of the Three Magi worked happily together at Calloway Avenue. However, in August 1958, Mr. Weaver gave Dennis notice and the Church of the Three Magi closed. The church furniture was put into storage and the church went into abeyance, but happily not for long. In October 1958, a large house was acquired by Dennis and Esme at 12 Ashley Hill, Bristol. The furniture was withdrawn from storage and installed, and the church duly consecrated, ready for the service on November the 16th, 1958. Concerning which, Dennis wrote an interesting comment, which is in the record book, Volume 1, Part 2, and I quote, The same people were present who had assisted in the breakdown of the church at Kellaway Avenue so that the same collection of vibrations which had taken so much time to establish at Calloway Avenue could be re-established at 12 for Ashley Hill. End quote. The church was registered in Bristol, number 67030, as the Church of the Three Magi. In January 1961, the name of the church was changed from the Church of the Three Magi to the Collegiate Church of the Epiphany and of the Three Magi. Although Anson made a big thing of this in his book, it is merely noted in the order records. See Volume 1, Part 11. The following year, on Tuesday the 12th, June 1962, the Order of St. Gilbert was installed at 12 Ashley Hill by Marg Yorgus with Dennis as its prior. The Reverend Peter Green, Colin Aitkins and Gerard DeSicchio were also made brothers of the Order. This event required the Order to give up the name of the Order of St. Raphael. One of the main features of this change of identity lay in the fact that it was re-establishing an English medieval monastic order which had been open to both men and women and as such was in keeping with one of the primary aims and objectives of the Order. I have no way of ascertaining whether it came as a surprise to Dennis as all of the people involved are dead and the records are scanty. But number 12 Ashley Hill was put up for sale in July 1963, presumably by Esme. There is a letter in the archives dated the 4th of May 1964, 
written by Dennis Duesme. It appears to be a surprised response to the sale, but then again perhaps not, as it can also be read as an offer to acquire the house on the terms that they bought it. Whatever the letter's purpose, it clearly didn't work. They had been living separate lives for some time, Esme in the Harper house and Dennis on the ground floor, where the chapel was located. One cannot help wondering just how much stress on their relationship had been caused by Marg Jorgis and the church, which I believe was the source of ill will between Esme and Dennis. Esme did not like Marg Jorgis, and it was probably the cause of much of the friction between them. Whether or not Dennis knew that the house was to be sold is, in point of fact, irrelevant, as he clearly found out over the course of time. What is relevant is that times were a-changing, and rapidly, as events were to demonstrate. In due course, the house was to be sold to Kenneth Thorne, a hypnotherapist, a singular event with serious repercussions. On January 17, 1964, the Wessex branch of the United Presbytery of Free Christian Churches was established at 12 Ashley Hill by Margiorgis and Dennis as a moderator. The endeavour came to nothing, and may well have been the tipping point between Dennis and Margiorgis. It certainly appears to be the case that the nature and function of the Order of St Gilbert was taking upon itself a life of its own, in which Margiorgis and the United Presbytery had no part to play. From the beginning, the Church had sought to engage its members in subjects of a spiritual nature. Indeed, one calendar of meetings and lectures for 1956 outlines the subject matters to be discussed. They include the ancient wisdom, the inner life, consciousness outside of the five senses, the recording ether, astral currents, circulating light, thy will be done, the healing powers of religion, religious symbolism, life of the spirit, meditation and contemplation. Indeed, the list of subjects is too long to enumerate here. Mark Yorgos's primary interest was in developing a religious organisation, whereas Dennis was only interested in the spiritual life and the development of the soul, an interest he passed on to members of the Order and remains the driving force of the Order today. However, we are getting a little ahead of ourselves. First, a little bit more about Kenneth Thorne. Fate is a fickle thing, and just as matters were settling down, the new owner, Kenneth Thorne, proved to be antagonistic to the aspirations of the church, doing all that he could to drive Dennis out of the building. At the end of 1964, Dennis entered the following in the record book, and I quote, We are experiencing great difficulty with the new owner of the house, Mr. Kenneth Thorne, a hypnotherapist. End quote. That's from Records, Volume 1, 17. It may not appear to be saying very much, but on the 26th of January 1965, Thorne had desecrated the chapel. The police had been called, and Thorne was cautioned, but with little effect. On Friday, the 21st of May 1965, Thorne removed the baptismal font from the chapel, and in June, further disturbances took place with Thorne threatening Dennis with violence. Thus it was that from the beginning of 1965, Dennis and Morris had been preoccupied with finding new premises, and in July of that year, 
two cottages owned by British Railways, were viewed and terms negotiated with the state agents at Wooden Under Edge, who acted on behalf of British Railways. A price of £200 was agreed for the two cottages, and two acres of land situated at Pilning, Seven Beach, near Bristol. The price was low because there were closure orders on the cottages. This did not deter the prospective buyers, and on acquiring the site from British Railways, everyone got stuck in to make them fit for purpose. In due course, the closure order was lifted, and on March 18, 1966, the church moved to Pilning. On Saturday the 2nd of April 1966, Dennis took up residence. Thereafter, the site was to be known as Rosary Priory. Over the course of the following year, a chapel was built for the use of the order by Brother Ignatius. These were Hallison days, when all seemed well with the world. However, Dennis's time with Margiorgas had come to an end. His attempt to influence him over the years had come to nothing, which in 1966 eventually led them to go their different ways. In 1967, subsequent to their parting company, Margiorgas dissolved the Order of St Gilbert and released the brothers from his jurisdiction. Nevertheless, the Order continued to function as the Order of St Gilbert until 1982. Whether he knew it or not, Margiorgas had failed in his primary ambitions. Yet, in spite of his failure, much was learned from his experience. The centralised and corporate structure of the church at large was, and still is, a major problem on all sorts of levels. From Margiorgas's perspective, emulating the established church was an error. He was emulating a model that was already in decline. Indeed, after 1945, history was unfolding a different pattern in which small is beautiful. The future lay in paying attention to its unfolding structure. The truth is that small survives because it can be supported effectively and in the long term by small numbers of people. By not recognising this, Margiorgas missed an opportunity. Small is beautiful also works because it is both personal and manageable. And in such an environment, people feel a genuine part of a religious community. Interconnected autonomous groups, following a creed they love and understand, is far more desirable than a corporate culture, which demands the faithful to conform to a rigid and difficult-to-understand theology. On parting company from Margiorgas, Dennis joined the Western Orthodox Church under the authority of Mar Philippus, otherwise known as Bishop Singer, and was consecrated to the Episcopate by him in June 1967, as Mar Dionysus of Ost. Sadly, in 1968, he was diagnosed as having cancer of the throat and he was admitted into hospital for surgery. I'm reasonably convinced that Dennis went into hospital with every intention of returning to active life after his operation. However, as events transpired, he did not. Extensive surgery during the latter part of 1968 did nothing to halt the cancer and his condition continued to deteriorate until his death at 10 minutes past 12 on the 4th of September 1970. No organisation is ever totally free of negative influences. This is especially true at its beginning and at critical moments in its development. One such influence was Frank Cowell, 
an Australian by birth whom I first met in the mid-1970s, by which time he had retired from his career as a draftsman. Frank was a high Anglican by inclination. He attended a very ritualistic church, St Mary's in Tyndall's Park. A theologian by nature and very well read, he was an enthusiastic man with a vast and chaotic theological library. Precisely when Frank arrived on the scene is unclear, but by the mid-1960s he was noted as being an argumentative and cantankerous individual who could split theological hairs to pass the time, and he knew all too well how to bear a grudge. This was not so much of a problem in general terms, but it was a problem at order meetings, where people gathered to explore the spiritual dimensions of their lives and were rarely concerned with the finer points of theology or indeed of history. The records show, in Volume 1, page 17 and 19, that he was formally asked to stay away from such meetings because of his disruptive behaviour. Yet Frank must have been fond of the order, for he maintained contact and generally on friendly terms until he joined the Russian Orthodox Church in Bristol at some point in the 1980s. Frank Cowell was a strange man, quick to argue and take offence, but for all that he was a kind and thoughtful person who went out of his way to help the order. During the horrendous conflict of interests that took place at Number 12 Ashley Hill between Thorne and Dennis, Frank was instrumental in finding the cottages at Pilning that became Rosary Priory. He was also responsible for building a temporary chapel using materials from Ashley Hill. Dennis died without consecrating anyone to succeed him as bishop, but he did appoint Father Gerard de Sicchio, otherwise known as Brother Ignatius, to succeed him as the abbot of the order. This meant that the order, then the Order of St Gilbert, was without religious jurisdiction and without episcopal oversight. Furthermore, Brother Ignatius did not endear himself to the other members, so much so that many withdrew and left him alone at Rosary Priory, especially after he contested the will, which, as I understand it, Brother Ignatius contested Dennis's will, which Dennis had signed unwitnessed, and in which he had left Rosary Priory and all other effects to the members of the order. When and how he actually challenged the will I do not know. However, solicitors, being what they are, such things take a considerable time to process. Thus, the records show that on the 26th of February 1974, the will was declared invalid. The estate then reverted to Dennis's wife Esme, who passed the estate on to Brother Ignatius for and on behalf of the order. Brother Ignatius, contesting the will, has always been something of a mystery. He had served Dennis and the order faithfully for many years, yet his actions in challenging the will seemed to contradict everything he stood for. Nevertheless, challenge it he did, and it will remain a mystery, unless of course we consider the following. In 1970, following Dennis's death, the order surrendered any claim to ownership of the priory to Brother Ignatius. Perhaps this fact lay at the heart of the matter. He felt obligated to do so. As mentioned earlier, fate is a fickle old thing. In the early 1980s, Rosary Priory was compulsory purchased by the local council and became the site of the English side of the second bridge into Wales. The last I saw of it, 
the derelict Rosary Priory sat directly under the ascending ramp of that bridge. It was left to Father Morris Saville to continue the development of the order. Through 1969 and 70, it became increasingly clear that Dennis was going to die. At the time, the number of members had been relatively consistent, approximately a dozen or so. However, as the year 1970 progressed, and as the members realised that they would be relying upon Brother Ignatius for spiritual guidance, their faith wavered and some of them resigned. Fortunately, standing quietly in the background was Father Morris Saville, and as it proved, it was upon his shoulders that the mantle of the Spirit fell to carry the order forward through some very interesting times. Here we draw to a close part three of a brief history of the order of Dionysus and Paul. I thank you.